0: Welcome to the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast with your host, Mr. G. For those about to learn, we salute you. Hello, party people. Thank you for joining us today on the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast. We are changing the world one classroom at a time, that classroom is your classroom. I'm your host, Jared Gellert, Mr. G, and today we've got another great interview planned for you today because we've been on a awesome interview kick and I don't see why we should stop anytime soon. And today's interview is with Enrique Feldman. Enrique is an author. He is a musician. He is an educator, but most importantly, he is an artist and everything that he does from teaching to music to writing to all of these different areas, it all involves seeing things through this artistic lens and being an artist. And today we're gonna talk about how to make education an art form. And we're gonna talk about so much more than just that. And I am so excited because this conversation was just incredible. And we're gonna talk about magic, and we're gonna talk about the energy of thought, and we're gonna talk about how to make read aloud awesome and how to bring joy and laughter and all of these incredible things into your classroom. So get ready because this is going to be a great episode. It's a long episode, but it's so worth it. Break it up if you have to, people, because this is incredible. Get ready for Enrique Feldman. Hey, Enrique, thank you so much for joining us today. And I just want to jump right in. There's so much that I want to get into, but really because of how amazing your presentation was when I saw you at the North Carolina NACI conference, I would just like to give you the floor and give you the chance to introduce yourself to the audience, tell them, all the amazing things that you do and how you ended up on this path of inspiring and energizing teachers and parents and so many so many more people in education.
1: Great, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, and I had a great time at that conference. Uh, that's a great question about how I got, how I'm, where I'm at now. Um, so, you know, my name's Enrique, last name Feldman, uh, middle name Cáñez. So you can start right there. That's one heck of a name. <laughs> Um, So I I, I was uh, born in Tucson, Arizona and was raised in Arizona and San Diego, California and family from, let's see, here it goes, Odessa, Russia, um, um, uh, Madrid, Spain, Argentina, and then let's see, uh, uh, Mexico, of course, um, and uh, one-eighth Yaqui Indian. So I'm a a real melting pot, uh, both in name and in spirit. Um, and my wife actually is uh, from Miami, Florida. Her parents were born in, in uh, Cuba. Um, and so when our kids were small, they would ask me, uh, you know, what, what, are we again, daddy? And I would answer it and I'd go through the whole thing. And eventually I would just say, we're earthlings, you know, we're, we're human beings. So, uh, so that's a little bit of just my background. I'm a artist and educator. So I'm a performing artist. I, I conduct orchestras, I conduct musicals, I sing in choruses with orchestras and all sorts of fun stuff. I compose music and perform on piano and voice also as a in, in sort of a, a jazz, gypsy world, uh, world beat, a lot of ethnic music. Um, I'm classically trained as a pianist. Uh, and then the educator side of me, even though I see that as an art as well, I see everything through the lens of artists. Um, I spend a lot of time working preschool through uh, grade school. I also work with middle school and high school students and teachers and parents, but most of our work with my foundation is, is focused on young learners, and really it's about helping them learn how to learn, helping them to be aware of awareness, in addition to the content. We definitely connect to you know, standards when we have to, uh, which happens all the time, and we do so in a creative, joyful manner. So it's about really uh, inserting uh, a sense of joyful curiosity uh, back into the landscape of, 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 of education and, and more than education, about learning. Uh, and then I see education as a, a byproduct. Uh, so that's, in a quick nutshell, what I do. And um, while I used to work at a, a two major universities, I, I got a little tired, to, to speak to your question of how I got here. I, I, I was a little uh, disenthralled. I, I was getting a little bored um, because I had to do things in a certain way, and so I decided to start my own foundation, which today is known as the Global Learning Foundation. And so I, I get to create my own schedule uh, now, and I uh, each day is different, and I love that. I, I love the unknown. I didn't used to. I used to be scared of it. Um, that's another concept we we actually mm-hmm. introduce to learners. But so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here and. Looking forward to the questions you have.
0: So, from there, there are so many different directions that we can take this. Um, so, I guess what I really want to know next is that on your website it talks about living our life artistically and what will the world look like when we can realize, when we realize that we can live our lives artistically? And you just kind of touched upon that, how you see everything through that artistic lens. So I'd like if you could just talk about what does it mean to live our lives artistically? And then what will the world look like when we realize that we can do that?
1: (laughs) That's great. Uh, It can mean a lot of things. We can all interpret it in our own way. From my perspective, living artistically is about living like a child. Hmm. Um, And so the point of view of living like a child would speak to uh, embracing um, laughter again, not just, you know, on a Friday night with friends, but embracing joy and laughter in, in any moment. The idea of no ordinary moment, you know, you watch young children and they, they'll, they'll, they'll find a rock, right? And we're like, I found a rock. And, you know, as an adult, we're like, okay, you found a rock. way to go, you know, but that perspective of, of noticing, of noticing things, in a different way, and we've created strategies that do that. I've used them with not only young children but my own, my own kids, um, and we talk about it. it. They make a big difference related to how we, how we think and how we learn. So the art, the artist lens is a great one. It can apply to anything. And so in my life, for example, um, the way I cook. Um, so I used to not. I mean, I've always been an artist, but I live much more like a child today. So many years ago, about well, not that many, about nine years ago, I used to look pretty different. I used to weigh about 300 pounds, and um, I really wasn't taking care of myself. And so I I made a lot of changes, but the primary one is that I lived more artistically. So I became more artistic in how I cook, Um, and I'm a foodie, so I like good tasting food, but I also want to be healthy. So we can become an artist in terms of how we cook. Um, I, I become more artistic in the way I take care of my body, how I work out, when I work out, in smaller little chunks throughout the day. Um, so there, you could, you know, not just teaching, but how we connect with friends, um, how we listen. Um, so in the artist world, you're taught to really listen and then reflect on what you just did, let's say as a pianist. And then you have to go back and identify Okay, where are the areas I can get better at? So when you say the artist lens, it's a it's it's saying a lot. It's it's a it's a beautiful thing. And so when people ask me what do I think the world will look like when this is happening more uh, across the globe, my response typically is, well, what do you think the world will look like? And more specifically, right. what do you think your own community would look like? And what do you think you would look like? And so. I'm a big fan of questions. I try and stay away from, you know, answers per se. But I, for me, there would be a lot more joy and a lot more inspiration in the world. Not that there isn't some; that there is quite a bit uh, if you know where to look. Um, but I think there would be a, a huge wave of it, and I think that would impact everything from from the economy uh, to a sense of unity um, to a sense of uh, a pride not just in one's own you know, a uh, personal background, but in a sense of humanity. So for what I mean by that is, you know, I'm, I'm uh, proud to be a Latino. Uh, hablo español muy bien. You know, I love to speak Spanish. I, I speak English. I speak some sign language. I speak the language of music. I speak the language of math. But while I'm very proud of my Latin heritage, I'm even more excited about my human heritage. And so I, 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 I like to think like that because when I work with children, and adults, I, all I sense, I, I don't sense really um, what what their heritage is. I'm, I'm probably aware of it, I'm sure, but I just sense their eagerness to learn, and that's what I focus on.
0: Again, a lot of places to go from that. Really beautiful answer. I mean, I'm just really very happy to, to have your perspective for our audience to hear. It's, it's really incredible. And I think one of the things you touched on there was joy and so i'm wondering yeah. where does this joy come from and it, maybe if you could get into a little bit with your brainwave games which i'll let i'll let you describe what they are to the audience yeah. and how they result in a lot of joy and laughter and where that joy and laughter is coming from and then just in general where do you see this uh this type of happiness and joy and and um fulfillment and all these kinds of things that come along with it that will also are a byproduct of living your life artistically?
1: That's a great question. I think that I, I think that for me, joy and, and laughter and that sort of thing, it, it I want to talk about it from two perspectives. Uh, joy and laughter, neurologically, it comes from the fact that when we experience something new, something that is either brand new or is something we haven't experienced in a long time, so it feels new, mm-hmm. that creates a reaction of laughter and joy example uh, that you saw me make at the conference you were at is a young child about to take that first step and they're wobbling around back and forth and the family's there and they finally take that first step and it's almost always accompanied by you know some type of mm-hmm. whoa you know what was that look at me i can do it that sort of thing so neurologically it's a new message from the brain to the legs that's a very simple but very powerful example and then uh the other side is laughter and joy also come from a, a, a sense of wanting to connect to others. Uh, and, and before that, really a sense of wanting to connect with ourselves. And that, that's, another, that's another ball of wax to tackle. Because uh, we quite often forget that we need to be connected to who we are and have a, a good idea of who we are um, and why we are. Um, but anyway, back to new messages and laughter and joy. Back in around 2000, right around the same time I started my foundation, I started creating a bunch of brain games. Uh, And these are different than others like Lumosity, which is, you know, they do some really cool stuff. These are physical brain games. These are brain games that you actually tell your body, hey, left brain, right brain, we need you to work together and we need you to create more synaptic connections and we need you to up your game. And so, hey, I'm gonna close my door. Hold on one second, okay?
0: Okay, no problem. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry about that. No problem.
1: My wife's also a pianist, and so our home is a happy, happy place of lots of joy and laughter.
0: Uh, right. I was just gonna say joy and laughter. Perfect.
1: Yeah, there it is. You know, so you walk into our home, and on the right hand side there are two baby grand pianos. Um, not, not the perfect spot, but it's, it's what we do. You know, so. So, yeah, joy and laughter, um, these brainwave games, they started out, honestly, a long time. 17 years ago. They started out, or 18 years ago, they started out as a means to um, just wake up the brain, sort of a, an icebreaker, right? So kids mm-hmm. are getting tired, you know, parents, teachers, and, and and they work. And they work because you cross the middle of your body, you know, so it might be shoulder and elbow. It might be ear and nose. There, there's a bunch. And, and some are really simple you know, for pre-K, and, and they're in time with music. So there's a musical component, which the frequency of the music we use is very intentional. Um, it's it's based on a lot of research, and the fre- frequency is how is one of the main ways in, in how we connect left brain, right brain connections, how we create more of a whole brain approach. So there's the music, there's the frequency, and then there's the physical motion of crossing over the middle. And so if you're watching... You know, a pre-K brainwave game of ours is really simple, you know, and for but a lot of young children, if you ask them to do this shoulder and shoulder, and imagine if there's music in the background, they'd be in time with the music. A lot of young kids will actually do this at first, and we have to be patient and let them cross over. And so for an adult doing this, there's no new message. There's no laughter, right? Right. Unless I congratulate them sarcastically for doing a, <laughs> a pre-K brain game, which I, I do. Uh, and that's funny, uh, usually. Um, but then I'll have them do one like this. And so if you're watching, try this ear and nose. And one, two, ready, and switch, two, three, four, switch, two. And most adults, have, they end up here or here or they end up here. And and so they start to kind of have a sense of what just happened. You know, another one for adults is a finger and a thumb, and then you one, two, ready, and switch, two, three, four, switch, two, three, and you gotta make sure it's not here, it's here, the thumb, not right. down, the thumb, and then, and, so, and then there's all sorts of, there's over 300 of these, um, and so it's, uh, it's fascinating to see adults, even jaded adults, even adults who have just, you know, they've been kicked around by life a bit, and they've seen plenty of seminars or workshops, I get it, and even that person, They play these games and even they start to go, what's going on? And they're experiencing a new message, which is how we stay young. So there's all the research behind it, which I'm probably not gonna get into today, but these brain games actually are pretty critical, or something like them is critical for, and check this out, it's critical for the diet of the brain, that these exist, or that something like them exists in the daily habit of not just children, but of adults as well Uh, because we can choose our neurological age. That is a scientific fact. We can, we get to choose how old we are neurologically and uh, I'm 51. I last time I felt this good. I was in my twenties. I mean, it's, and this is one of the reasons. Um, And so it's about knowing how to scaffold them. You have to know where to start. You don't want to go from a really easy one to a hard one because then you'll have a lot of, you won't have a, a very good experience. Um, so that's that's one of the things we do we show people how to scaffold them and we play brain games for many reasons now we still use them for icebreakers, um, but we use it for a lot more than that and I just this morning was on the other side of town um, working with uh, three to five year olds in two classrooms and today we did yoga uh, related to um, the ocean and environment we did uh, yoga also related to building language um, but as part of yoga, by default, we were playing a lot of these brain games. So we're doing all sorts of poses where you're twisted up and you're you're over here and you're over here and you're all sorts of really cool things. And um, crossing a leg, doing a, a, these stretches where one leg is bent on top of the other leg and then going down and stretching your hamstrings. So it's, again, going back to something I said earlier, no ordinary moment. You don't have to just stop and play only brain games. I mean, you can do that, and that's good. Um, but once you really learn about these and you know how they're, how they're, how they evolve, um, you can begin to integrate them into any moment. So the idea of learning in context, contextual learning, or what we call context method, is another big piece because when learning occurs outside of a context, it's not relevant. You know, it's, and I've had great conversations with my 19 year old son uh, about, big parts of education in his own experiences, which which have been irrelevant to him, and others which have been very relevant. And one of the main predicators of that is whether it was in context or not.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with that any more than, you know, that is a big part of the way that I taught, even in pre-K, was that you can teach very advanced topics if it's relevant to kids. So if we were learning about something along the lines of, uh, you know, if we were learning just about outer space, then I was telling those kids that they can become an astronomer or an astronaut when they grow up. There you go. Or So we, what I ended up doing was I built an entire occupation book. So we did an anchor chart for each unit with a job that they could do. And then at the end of the year, I said, okay, guys, here's." I took a picture of all of them, printed them out, and said, which jobs are the ones that you liked? And then they went home at the end of the year with a book of all the occupations that they said, oh, yeah, I liked learning about underwater animals. So a marine biologist, that sounds pretty good. Or I liked learning about recycling. So environmental activists. So there were always different opportunities where the kids could see themselves and say, okay, I'm just not, I'm not just learning something to learn it, but I'm learning it. And if I enjoy it, which was always, my main focus was helping kids find their passions. And if they can find it at a young age, then it's like, what is stopping them? If they can fall in love with learning at an, in early childhood, then it doesn't matter about if they have a boring teacher, you know, in kindergarten or first grade, like they know what the potential of learning is. They know that they have these passions and these interests. And in today's world, they can pursue them on their own. They can go and find things on YouTube or on Pinterest or really anywhere, you know, even the library and uh, for a more traditional kind of kid. But it's really powerful when you provide that context and you give them a reason and a reason, not just a reason for why they're learning what they're learning, but a reason to care that's rooted in their own interests. So I really, really appreciate you bringing up that whole idea, and especially adding so much context to it in your own way. Um, and so there's another thing that I wanted to get into, not really pivoting here, but a little bit um, with these students that are trying to find themselves and find their passions and find their own individuality, how do we bring about that dare to be different or even really dare to be yourself kind of mentality in our students and how do we help them feel seen and recognized for who they are and for their individuality because we certainly want that to come out, uh, any teacher wants that to come out in their classroom. That's a great
1: question. Yeah, you, yeah you're referencing the idea of, of um, I like to word it, of having them be being seen or right. uh, another way I've heard it uh, talked about it is um, feeling felt. Uh, the person mm-hmm. who said that, that I heard first say it was Dr. Daniel Siegel, a very well-known um, psychiatrist and researcher of the brain in a book called, uh, he's had many, but the most recent, Mind Sight. It's one word, mind and then sight, as in seen, by mm-hmm. Dr. Daniel Siegel. And he talks about feeling felt, um, or, or in this case, you know, being seen, uh, feeling validated uh, as to who you are, who we are as an individual. It's, it's hugely important. I grew up with a grandmother who taught me that, and the way she did it was she taught me, she talked to me at a very young age about the power of the mind in a very simple way. She would say things like, like everything in here can be out there, hmm. everything in here can be out there. And I'd think about it as a little kid, and we keep talking. And then the other thing she'd say to me is, everything you touch turns to gold. Whoa! And she was really serious when she said it. And I knew she wasn't messing around. So I, I paid attention and we were really close. Um, but how many kids don't have that kind of guidance at a very young age or ever? Um, it depends, you know, on their background, what they're around. And so it comes down to helping children think in, 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 in more elevated ways. So it comes to do that. It, if you break it down, it then comes down to the kinds of questions we ask. So we we do have to ask linear questions in life, you know, questions that require a yes or no response, or we're looking for a certain answer, that's that's fine, but it's nowhere near enough. We have to ask open-ended questions to both our fellow colleagues, the people that we lead, and to children, specifically. We have to ask more open-ended questions. Um, So um, I'll reference this with a story, a true story. and here's this is another example of contextual. I'm contextualizing my answer for you with a story, which always makes it more fun. Back to laughter and joy, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, when my daughter was four, she looked at me and said, "Daddy, I'm tired of the books you're reading to me at night." <laughs> and I luckily I didn't say, "Well, those are the only books we have, young lady." I didn't say that, and I didn't say, you know, there are some children who don't have any books at all. I didn't say that either. I just said. What do you want to do? That's Mm. an open-ended question. So I'm not talking about like rocket science questions. I'm just talking about open-ended questions that then that those create an invitation to respond, they create an invitation to learn. And when invitations to learn exist, really good things happen. So check this out. My daughter's 23 today when she was four, she asked me that question. I said, what do you want to do? And she said, let's make our own stories. So we started making our own stories. And related to your question about how do we help children be comfortable in their own skin and be cool with the idea of diverse thinking, the the idea of being themselves, right? Even if someone makes fun of them. So my daughter grew up with kids making fun of her sometimes because she was just very, very overt and very strong-willed person, and she still is today. And um, she, she, she just, you know, was being herself, and some kids really uh, thought it was just weird, strange, right? Um, and she didn't look like all the other kids. She had dark hair, darker features, you know, big old gigantic curly hair and a very big personality. So um, we started making these stories, and we put them away. And years later, uh, just two years ago, you know, my daughter and I got serious about the story. So those stories are now a series of children's book books. What's really relevant is that the stories reference well, a couple of things that are relevant. One, the stories reference diverse thinking, that diversity is a, a good thing. They reference um, perspective building, they reference um, adversity as opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. But even more important, in my personal opinion, is in the creating of these stories, my daughter, who is doing, is thriving now. during her high school years she had a lot of struggles um with things like depression right and and it's still ongoing but doing so much better and so one of the things that she has told me that kept her grounded that kept her from making some decisions that could have been really really scary is that she knew who she was or and she knew who she could be and Mm. and and she felt um she felt, uh, what was the word, she felt empowered by something I would say to her throughout her life. And I said, what was that? She said, you always called me a champion, which is different than saying winner. Champion right. for me. So I'd say, well, you're a champ. Hey, champ, not champion. And so I referenced that a lot. And um, so not only is it important for us to help the next generation be okay with who they are and have different ideas that we have inventors, you know, Da Vinci's of the next generation, um, it's also important for their mental health, um, that we do so. So there are so many reasons to engage our next generation, as you're suggesting, um, beyond just the academic side of it and and beyond even social emotional, but in terms of literally, um, the, the health and wellness of our next generation is at stake. Really,
0: Beautiful. I mean, I think that I'm going to try to take a bunch of what you said and and try to move forward into into the next question because I think that I really appreciate you sharing a story about also about you guys creating stories together uh, because our brains really are hardwired for story Um, and we tend to create stories for things to make sense of them Um, I can't remember where I read that I read something about how our brains can't process just raw data they have to put the data into a story sure. for us to look at the data. And it just, you can't just look at numbers or look at results of something. It has to be like, well, what is this telling me? And then there's a story that comes along with that. And that's just how our minds work. And so I think it's really powerful because what I'm hearing is that you provided the, the system and the support and all the right encouragement and all the right questions to ask that your daughter could become the hero of her own story. Yes. And that I think is really powerful, especially if we can just help kids all over become the heroes of their own stories and to not ever see the obstacles in their way as something that's stopping them, but as like, as you said, adversity as opportunities to grow and to, you know, be the hero and uh, and overcome. And I think that's just so, so powerful um, in that. And yeah, I mean, that's, I honestly don't really have a question to move from there. I just think that I'm just really compelled by yeah. by what you just shared. Um, but I guess on the same lines of story and how our brains are wired, our brains are also hardwired for music. And you've talked about music a lot. And yeah. so I really loved what you did with Read Aloud and with story and putting it over different types of music. Yeah. And I'm honestly shocked that when I go to YouTube something like that and say – people doing read aloud over music that there's really nothing on YouTube for that. And because it was so powerful and so interesting, and it offered so many other avenues to discuss about not just what the content of the story was, but the inflection and the mood and the tone and all these other things. And I know you used a lot more descriptive words in your presentation about all the other things that you can come about from that. But I was hoping that you could just go into what inspired you to start reading over music because i know that when i was doing read aloud when i was teaching i really didn't enjoy it i didn't enjoy doing read aloud and i can be pretty animated but i still was like this is i don't i didn't feel like my kids were getting as much out of it because it wasn't as open-ended as the rest of the way that i ran my classroom it was they're listening to me read and there's opportunities to ask questions about recall and all that stuff's very important but the way that you did it was like, you know, we were all on the edges of our seat listening. And so if you could just, you know, get into that, where, where the inspiration came from, what happens when you read over music, all these kinds of things. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a great question. Um, which is the key right back to the art of the question. So you're asking questions, which is creating this, this energy between you and me right now, which I'm enjoying greatly. Uh, Likewise. Yeah. And so that's great. Great. Good job. Um,
0: Thank you. So yeah, you're
1: welcome. So I, I've been using music all my life, of course. At first, more just as you know, a young kid learning how to play piano, and uh, and then and then uh, violin, and then voice, and, and even accordion, and I mean, I, you know, trumpet, and then tuba. It's a lot of instruments. And, uh, so that was always in my life. And we use today music in many ways. We use it as you've talked about with a reading. Uh, we also use music in direct ways to connect to learning and math. Like we teach young, young, young children. We we teach three and four year olds. Um, we teach them pre-algebra. Uh, we teach them algebra. We teach that through how to read music, which you're reading symbols. This symbol called a quarter note means one. Hmm. That, that's a that's a symbol, you know, representing a number. That's the definition of algebraic thought, uh, or one of the definitions. I should part of the definition. So um, there's there's a lot to it. A lot of ways to use music and in terms of what, how, when I started using music for reading, I think it had to do with my willingness to play with my kids when they were little. So we would pretend uh, that their bunk bed was a boat. And, uh, you know, we would just start playing silly games and my wife would come in and go, you are, you are so silly. You're a goofball. I said, thank you. Yes, I am. I'm a goofball. And we'd, we'd play and we would put on music like, we would put on music to the, the soundtrack from Pirates of the Caribbean. So all of a sudden the bunk bed became a pirate ship, you know, mm. and we just started playing and I noticed how much fun it was, including for myself. Cause I, you know, like any adult, I mean you play and I love to play, but I'd be tired. So I, I found myself more into it. And so I, I forget when I first started it, but I know where it was. Um, when I first shared this idea publicly, was in 2002, or 2001, it was in 2001. My foundation was uh, founded in 2000, February 2000, and the next year we uh, started our services, um, believe it or not, in the state of Ohio. Um, and because I was still regarded in my hometown in Arizona, as, in Tucson, as a, a musician, and artist, and teacher. But I wasn't known locally yet as an early childhood educator, you know, or a presenter. Um, and so Ohio I had some contacts there and, and I went out there and I read with music, not exactly like you saw it, I, when we first did it we would choose one piece of music and then what you do is you change your volume, pace and inflection to more or less match the music so you create a soundtrack you're, you're reading, it's like a movie experience and mm-hmm. it's very dramatic um, and so I would pick one piece of music and always use that piece of music with that book And our handouts even would say, here's the suggested list of music with books. And I didn't realize I was doing myself and my colleagues a disservice. And we did that for many years. And um, people loved it. Kids loved it, you know. Um, So I would read Jazzy in the Jungle by Lucy Cousins, one of my favorite pre-reader, pre-early learning books. And I'd read Jazzy in the Jungle, and I would read it with, uh, it was Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto, movement number three. And it was Piano piano Concerto number 1 by Tchaikovsky. And it works great. And one day I didn't have that piece of music with me because this is pre-iPhone days, so I didn't have the CD with me. At least I didn't say tape. (laughs) And and I had to use another piece of music. And lo and behold, not only did it work, it created a different subtext. It created a different um, sense of foreshadowing. It created a different meaning. The words were the same, but the meaning changed completely. So I kind of gave myself a, what have I been doing, and on purpose then started using different pieces of music. So what it looks like now is I'll be in a room with cl- uh, with children, I'll read a book with music, and then I'll say, let me try something else, and I'll read part of the book, or sometimes the entire book, or sometimes just a page or two, with different piece of music, and then another piece of music, and another piece of music. And so I'll, use, I'll go from Carmina Burana, you know, huge dramatic piece we've all heard in movies, usually where the horses are stampeding an Excalibur, that sort of big bravado, And then he'll play something like Sleep by Eric Whitaker, which is a choral piece of music that's just sublime and soft and gentle. And so whatever book I'm reading, you know, in that book, it's Where Are You, uh, Baby Jazzy? So it might be Where Are You, Baby Jazzy? Or it might be Where Are You, Baby Jazzy? And then the response by the animals in that book might might be Not Here. Or it might be Not Here. Or it might be Not Here. All of a sudden, at a very young age, we are making, going back to context and relevance, we are making reading relevant. And we are making it relevant because it's about how we connect. It's not about just how many words can we read or how many yeah, how many words we can read in a minute, which is it is an important thing. We do want to be verbally fluent regarding speed of reading, but we also want to be fluent regarding comprehension. Mm-hmm. And I think we miss that sometimes as a society in general. We get very excited about numbers and hitting our numbers. And I'm not saying – look, all I'm saying is it's not or. We can hit all those numbers and go way beyond them, way beyond them, and energize our – I'll call it learning base. We can energize our next generation in a way that really matters. And I've seen it in my own kids. You know, um, my son's 19. He already owns his own little business reselling a certain clothing line it's hilarious uh, you know you could do that and totally legal I checked on that I was like wait let's check this out um, and uh, you know my, my daughter is a senior at the University of Arizona and is already working and already doing things on the side and creating her career as opposed they're both creating a career versus looking for a job and I'm, right. I, I'm not judging anyone who has a job I, I you know where you work for someone else I used to do that for many years I get it and there's some really good jobs still there, but the world is changing, and we have to think about what are we, what kind of world are we preparing our kids for, you know? And it's and, and it's one where content is less important, in my opinion. Not, it's not that content's less important. It's that content is so quickly available. Like I can go on right. right now, and I can I can type in whatever I want to know, and within minutes I know something about it. I may not be an expert. So really, it's about thinking how to, learning how to learn. It's about learning how to create. It's uh, you know that sort of thing. So, the the, this music piece, very directly connects to that. In addition to, getting kids excited about reading, and expanding their vocabulary, vocabulary acquisition, uh, you know comprehension, subtext, foreshadowing, all those things. um, Speed of reading, uh, letter sounds, letter shapes. It does that too, but it does more than that. So, and it's so much fun going back to laughter and joy. You saw it. You saw the reaction. Mm -hmm. And it's it's rare that I can say without exception ever that is always the response. And I I do keynotes and workshops in three different so far three different countries, um, in almost all fifty states, in front of very different populations. I've been in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, many times, um, where I've done. Workshops there, um, and, and it's a very different energy than a workshop in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Not better, just different. Um, I've been in inner, inner city Watts, you know, um, by the Watchtower Tower there, and, 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 you know, L.A., uh, Miami, Florida, Tucson, Arizona, a lot of different places, very different cultures. Um, but without exception, everyone likes to laugh, and everyone likes to feel happy, and everyone wants to be relevant. Um, and so this, we call this technique, surfing the words, this using music with reading. Mm -hmm. What you do is you surf the words, you become, you become the emotion of the music and much like a surfer on water, you become much more flexible as a reader. And actually what's happened to me and I hope it happens to you is I don't really consider myself a reader of books to children. I consider myself a storyteller Mm. with or without the book. And then children begin to do it. Oh, my goodness. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Connected to this, it's something called the author stage. It's a strategy we developed. And so you get a little box or a piece of carpet, whatever, it, you know, something they stand on. And it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be elevated. And it, I'll say, who wants to tell me how jazzy in the jungle started? And they'll come up and I'll put the music on. And be, little by little, they start to get louder or get softer. They're paying attention to their own inflection. So now we're talking about Public speaking skills, right? Debating skills at age four, absolutely. Yeah. If it's done in a play-based way, if it's done with authentic joy, it like you said. You said it earlier. It's amazing what we can it, it, introduce to our youngest learners.
0: It, it really is amazing, and there's a big socio-emotional element to that as well. Huge. You know, huge, huge. I mean, I don't, I don't have to go into any type of explanation of it. You know, people can connect the dots there. So there's like just you take a what people think is a literacy activity, and you expand it to so many other areas and areas that are really, really important for just going about navigating the world. The like context is, yeah. I think that's why we have this, this, uh, these issues with the news nowadays is that they ignore context all the time. They ignore <laughs> tone, they ignore all these things. They just say, oh, he said this, she said that, and we're going to blow it up into that it's like the big, like this is what they must have meant by it and it's like they totally ignore all types of content and i don't think it's even done like maliciously i think that people just don't quite they're not listening for those kinds of things so if we can teach kids to listen for those things like it helps them i mean it will expand into media literacy it'll expand into a lot of other areas of life all the ones that you touched on obviously but that just made me think of of the way the news has been working recently where the context is always seems to be lacking where I'll, I'll hear somebody say something and then I'll hear it reported on the news. And it's like, did we watch the same thing? Um, right. And so th- I think that there's a lot of even, you know, really modern applications to these kinds of ideas. Oh, yeah.
1: In fact, you meant you, you just mean that jogged the memory of mine. Um, this summer, you mentioned how literacy can be a lot of things and, and really we need to, we we need to think about how we define the word literacy. Um and so uh this summer after before the session you saw me in in September, in July, I was in Orlando um in front of six thousand people as the keynote for the International Literacy Association. It, it was a great time, great people, and um from all over the country and in, in different different countries. And the topic was literacy reimagined. So they sat down with me, uh, you know, we, we took we did a bunch of Skypes and leading up to the event and we're talking about what we all saw as what, what could I bring as a keynote and really to make sure I do everything I can to help them. Um, and I I love that. And and so I love that they took the time to talk with me about that. So, uh, literacy reimagined was the the title of the keynote and in talking about it, I I ended up showing images, all sorts of images uh, of, of children in a play of children, um, um making music uh, of children cooking like of children affirming others is is how we affirm others a form of literacy for example right mm-hmm. um we talked about a literate brain with the brainwave games and we also also talked about if you're going to reimagine something like literacy for example you first really should look at reimagining yourself and um i think that is where a lot of this comes back down to kind of where the rubber meets the road is if as adult guides of the next generation we were committed and, and many are already if, if we became even more committed to reimagining ourselves and what i mean is reimagining our best self mm-hmm. reimagining our our potential beyond where we've already reached so i do this usually on a weekly basis certainly monthly and i reimagine i have some do, different google docs i use and i have different strategies strategies i use for that um and I really take a good look at where I'm at and where I think I could be, um, and I ask myself open-ended questions. Back to that again, um, and it's it it's it's not like okay, I'm going to go set goals. It's it's, it's more than that, uh, and so it's it's a lot of fun, and it keeps me very very uh, like I'm I'm all in. Uh, in fact, I have to be careful to not be so in that I don't you know push myself too hard. Um, mentally and physically uh, but I, I've gotten better at that too and so the idea of reimagining ourselves then allows us to reimagine any number of things mm-hmm. literacy being one of them for sure so thanks for jogging my memory on that
0: thanks for adding that that extra bit of, of awesome information oh. I, I really love this idea asking yourself open-ended questions it seems so simple but yeah. it's, it's tougher to do that you really have to be intentional about it um or else you end up too just setting goals and saying did i accomplish this did i yeah, check, did the box. check the box right exactly yeah, yeah so i think asking those open ended questions to yourself is a really great way to to bring the best out of yourself and reimagine yourself as your the best version of yourself absolutely um and this word reimagine is something that I mean, as soon as I started Punk Rock Preschool, that was the goal is to reimagine what's possible in early childhood education. Reimagine what that standard curriculum uh, where people are singing the wheels on the bus and they're learning farm animal noises and things like that. That's always my go-to example (laughs) because I think it needs total reimagining because I saw firsthand what's possible. And there's plenty of amazing teachers around the country and around the world that have seen firsthand what's possible with these kids if they just imagine it. Because if we don't, there's no way they're going. They're only going to achieve what we believe that they can achieve. If if our standards and our expectations are at a certain level, then they can exceed them a little bit. But right. th- it's really difficult um, for for children to to like blow blow that out of the water. And what's really powerful, I always talk about this too, and, and I think that that you probably agree is that kids. Especially in early childhood, they have no idea what they're expected to learn. If you teach them about parallelogram and rhombus and you teach them about being a marine biologist, right. they just think that's a normal pre K curriculum. They don't think, like, uh, Mr. G, that's actually like a fourth grade concept and we're not supposed to learn that for a couple of years. Like, they just accept it.
1: Just check this out. You know, the, yeah. you know about, I'm sure, DAP, Developmentally Appropriate Practice, right? Yes. So very familiar. And I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But the real question is not, the, the real question is, should not be, in my opinion, is the content developmentally appropriate. Now, there are some examples of content that would be very inappropriate, obviously. Right. But in general, I'm saying, what if, what would the world look like if we asked ourselves, are we being developmentally appropriate versus is the content alone developmentally appropriate? Because what you just said is spot on. And I've done it, too. I have, I mean, I have taught astronomy. and I do it all the time to four-year-olds. Right. And I do it with the art form of embodiment, which is a, another another thing It's where you use your body to become objects and actions and emotions and thoughts. Um, and as soon when, and whenever you do that, the learning is just off the chart. I use it all the time. That approach. I mean, so I think that if we develop our potential as individuals or what, what anyway, what I have experienced personally in my life on many fronts is as I've continued to develop my own potential and reimagine my potential. What has happened is my purpose has been unveiled to me. My purpose mm-hmm. has been revealed. As opposed to trying to go after what my purpose is, I've paid attention to what my what my what I'm passionate about, and then I've asked myself better questions, as we've talked about. And as I'm developing my potential, my purpose has become more clear to me. And and I and living with that kind of clarity is, um, man, it's. It's very empowering and a lot of fun. It's really empowering.
0: So, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I I do my best to to do that as well. But I think you're the uh, you're the the master on this right now. Yeah, so, I, I don't know
1: um, about that. But maybe we'll. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, hey, man, I mean, I mean, I'll right. I'll I'll throw you bone and say there's, there's of course there's always room to to always get better and better. But you're pretty uh pretty inspiring along those lines. Okay. Um, and I think that another just thinking in terms of reimagine and we've talked a lot about body and mind kind of connections. I just had this question after, after seeing your presentation and there's a lot of talk about imagination and Einstein and da Vinci. And so I was curious, I always see things this way that there's a really strong connection between magic and science. And I mean, even Isaac Newton was a alchemist. So, I mean, there's there's that for you, too. But whenever I think of characters like Einstein or Da Vinci or Newton, I think of how they took something that was essentially a magical phenomenon and they explained it through science. But the two concepts are still really, really closely linked together in my mind. Yes. And I was just wondering what, what your thoughts were on that relationship between magic and imagination, because I see the two very similarly intertwined and then science. And then how can we help our students use both these ideas when they're thinking about the world?
1: Yeah. So I reference this as a a number of things. Possibility thinking is certainly a really important perspective for young children and for adults. For me, where magic and, and science meet uh, and they do meet. Um, If you were to make a, you know, two circles and they, you know, kind of crossed over like that in the middle for me is the indomitable spirit of, of humanity, uh, and what I mean specifically is, uh, I believe that we are, are, are we we are drawn to creating things that are good. We are we we as people, we as a humanity in general, are drawn to making things and creating things, whether it's something physical or an idea. Um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily an, an Einstein idea. It might be, it might be, um, it might be making a chair. It might be making a meal. Um, what, whatever it is, uh, or it might be a life changing idea, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about that, that diagram for me, it's about, check this out. I'll make a, I'll make it physical. So it's actually more easy to understand. Perfect. So I'm I'm not going to use any words. Here's what, here's where some people start. And then hopefully with good mentorship, they do this. For the people listening, can you just explain what what what
0: you're doing right now, real fast? I see it, and and for the people that are going to be watching, it's going to be awesome. But uh, I just I don't want people to be like, okay, because they're probably going to be on the edge of their seats right now. So okay, so
1: what I'm what I'm describing right now visually is where the question was: where do magic and science meet? Like for example, you mentioned that um, uh, the was it who was the alchemist? You you mentioned. Newton. Newton. Yeah, Newton was an alchemist, and then he also these people like Einstein and Da Vinci and Galileo. They took things that were seen as magical phenomena and then described them with science, which led to all sorts of inventions and and ways of thinking and living. Right. So I'm going to describe the the path, the the potential evolution or the potential path of learning. Is a better way of saying it. That I have been on. That I hope others will go on, and that I hope we invite our young children so the idea of hey you can do anything right you can become anything uh, that, that's uh, everyone would agree that's a positive thought that you can become a, a lawyer a doctor you can become an entrepreneur right so that's simple right and so what i'm what i'm going to here so I'll, I'll do it with two circles so this circle here is going to be the circle of magic this over here is the circle of science and for a long time many 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 years ago they were separate you were either an alchemist right kind of a you know, one of those weirdos, or you were a science person. You were based on facts only, right? Another way to say that is you were a really touchy, you know, feely, very emotional person. And over here, maybe someone different personality, very, you know, let's get all the facts. Okay, so it, we we need to stop using the word "or." We use the word "or" a lot. We should we should try and use the word "and." Whenever possible, and sometimes it's not, but, but usually it is. So here are these two ways of thinking, these two worlds, magic and science, all right. Uh, and so in my life, I sort of started, uh, I started studying music at a young age. So they were already a little connected because why were they connected? Because when I heard music as a young kid, I felt this sense of wonder. I, I would start imagining things. So for me, they were kind of touching a little bit, and as I got older, they crossed over a lot more. And then as I became a young adult, you know what happened? They became a little almost not connected because I had things like groceries to buy and bills to pay. Mm. I wasn't thinking about magic. I was thinking about adult things and checking my boxes. And then before I started my foundation in 1997, when I left a tenure track position at a major university and started working with young children, um, Children reintroduced me to magic. Children reintroduced me to magical thinking. Maybe that's a, a better way for some to think of it. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Imaginative thinking. However you want to word it, all right? Tomato, tomato. Let's not let's not get stuck on words. So here are these two ways of thinking. So I I, re, I started working with children again, and I started to dream more. And all of a sudden, the magical and worlds of science became one circle where I didn't I didn't box myself in with a judgment call on what I was. Am I an educator or am I an artist or, I am, or am I an entrepreneur? I'm all those things. And so when our next generation can go, instead of going, I'm going to be that, which is a good place to start, right? If you get a young kid, let's say from a background where there, there's not a lot of um, um, financial freedom going on in their home, um, hopefully there's a lot of love still, um, but to get a young kid like that going, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. That's a good thing. I'm not saying that's not, but that's step one. We want to help them become. Being a doctor is different. Than, is different than knowing who you are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's two different. It's like it's it's the difference between knowing someone loves you, and feeling loved by that person, which that's another workshop. But that those are two different things. Knowing someone loves you, that's one thing. Feeling loved by that person is another mm-hmm. thing. So understanding that you want to become something is one thing understanding who you are is another thing. And so for me, when you ask me where do they meet or do they meet, I think they actually end up overlapping magic and science. And it's, it's a, it's a progressive, exciting, fulfilling, empowering, very happy way of living. And I say that from experience from someone who is um, I get up every day pretty much and I get to choose, um, what is this day going to be today, and does it relate to who I am? So sometimes I say no to things because it's not about who I am. Um, so I hope that was not was that I hope that wasn't confusing.
0: No, it was a great answer, and it also got me thinking about just like music and how music is magical in the way because that's where you started off with, yeah. and how music you can play something and it just makes people feel something, which is magic, like. I was listening to the wall earlier. And I mean, whenever I listen to dark side of the moon, it's like, you hear that and you just get overwhelmed with all sorts of different emotions. And it's like, these guys are magicians, like pink Floyd, they're magicians. And there's plenty of others that are just like that. But, and it's one of those things too. It brings me back full circle to what your grandmother told you about. What's what's in here can be out there. So what's in your mind can be into the world. And that's kind of where being an artist and, like you said before, there's so many different ways to be an artist, but I always find it so it's it's overwhelming sometimes to think that the music that Pink Floyd created, or like the people that wrote Mad Men, or the, I like when I'm thinking about shows or um, or music, because that's that's where my artistic interests lie mostly. That that stuff was in somebody's brain, right? And it's now something that you know the whole world can enjoy and appreciate, and it's become it's went from the immaterial to the material. And that is like magic in and of itself right there.
1: It is, it's, um, and we have to understand our subconscious minds are not very bright. They're powerful, very right. powerful. So it's a matter of perspective. Because I believe, and by the way, scientifically we have measured the energy of thought. Like they put elect- electrodes in there. We can measure our thoughts produce, physically produce energy, right? Our mm-hmm. left brain, right brain synapses connect. Is with frequency, it's bone conduction, it's vibration, it's sound. So right. it, what 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 we have to understand is our subconscious mind believes what we tell it. So if our self talk is saying stuff like, "No, I can't," one hundred percent correct you can't. And if our if our mindset is saying, "I'll figure out a way, I'll find a way," it will. And so there are days where I'm, I mean, I, I I lead a pretty happy life, but does it mean it's perfect? No, of course not. My parents both re- recently fell. They're okay. It was a bad fall. They fell together. It was like a Tom and Jerry cartoon gone bad. They were in the hospital for about ten days, and then rehab for another ten days. And we've got the food train set up for their house right now. Friends are making stuff. So it, it was very difficult to see my parents look like the end of Rocky One. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny now, but it, it was that bad. And so, right. when when I have a when I have a rough moment, or when I have a rough day, or you know, some challenges that come up. I will quite often say to myself, "I got this. I'm a champion. I know I got it. I'm in the I'm Those words sing inside my head, and so I'm telling my subconscious whatever I want to tell it. And the subconscious mind then it, and it doesn't mean we just have a thought, sit down, do nothing, and a year later something great happens. We all know that it takes work, but that work doesn't happen if we don't if we're not in the right mindset to go after it. And so how we affirm young children, and that we do so authentically, and that we do so often, in their language, whether it be love language or personality language, in their language, is an entirely, I mean, we, we, that would take another, I don't know how long to talk about, and and those are other workshops, and they're, they're critical, because it, it it comes down to how we think, how we think really matters, so... Yeah, I mean, the, the whole the conversation about magic and science, you know, what is magic? What is science? My definition of magic is probably very different from someone else's definition of, si- of magic, or science for that matter. I, I don't think they're that different, you know. But we really, we get caught up with words quite often. Mm-hmm. We get, we, some people really get freaked out with certain words. And that's why I said earlier, whether it's uh, magic or imagine, uh, imaginative thinking or, you know, the, the, or, or uh, creative thinking, that sort of thing there's a lot of ways to word it but you're right about music i mean um last night i was in dress rehearsal in a, a space that holds 2500 people a huge concert hall and we're singing leonard bernstein's kaddish which is a famous piece of music with a hundred piece orchestra and a 60-piece choir and a 25-piece children's choir and we're singing about uh, basically what the thing what the music is about it's about recreating ourselves that i'm not making this up the piece of music cottage by leonard bernstein is about recreating ourselves. That's what the music's about, mm-hmm. and so we're singing about it. And um, and it's really it's like B- B- Beethoven. It's really big music. It's really gargantuan sound. Wall, basically, what 100 180 people making music together. Think about that for a moment. Eight percussionists, brass, strings, drums of all kind, um, the choir, and so we're sitting there and we get to this one part where it builds up. It builds up. There's tension, and then in unison, we're singing the same notes. Oh say We're seeing these huge and think of 180 people doing that. It's mm-hmm. all this chaos and then boom. Oh say And it goes on for a while. And it, it, it's just beautiful. It just builds and builds a beautiful chorale section. And I had to stop singing for a moment because I started to tear up. Mm-hmm. and it wasn't wasn't fake it was real that's magical yep that's magical that we're all doing it together and that a sound that we're producing is and I'll now I'll describe it for you science folks out there that a sound we're producing is having a direct impact on our limbic system specifically our our amygdala right and, and different centers of our brain that are the scientific, the neurological connection to how we emote, and I'll keep I'll keep it in a science mode just because it's kind of fun. And I kind of geek out at it sometimes, but fortunately, my prefrontal cortex was able to spray, as Dr. Daniel Siegel says, was able to spray some very soothing ointment on my amygdala and went, "Hey, hey, it's okay, it's okay. This is a good thing you're feeling, not a scary thing you're feeling." So, you know, magical. Science, music, tomato, tomato, it's called being a human being. It's called about experiencing the human, having a human experience in this life. So,
0: Beautifully said. I just usually call that the Toy Story 3 experience. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first movie that ever made me cry where I'm just watching the end of it. And it was just so beautiful, the message that was coming across. And I just started crying. And now, now I cry, you know, I can be brought to tears by plenty of different forms of art, but I think it's a really, like you said, it's a human experience. It's a really beautiful thing and you just recognize that like you can feel those things and that something can bring that out of you. Totally, you're not planning on it. You're not trying to do it. It's just if you let yourself feel it, it comes about and there is something really magical to that. And however you want to describe it, I love that you just took the science perspective on it as well because Uh that really is, people do get bogged down in definitions sometimes and really we're we are talking about the same thing. And in college, we talked about something called interests versus positions. A lot of time people have the same interests, but they take a different position on how to get there, but they want the same thing. And people can end up really getting into like arguments and butting heads over that, but because no one's taken the time to facilitate and say, what is it that we all want from this situation? Um, and I think that there's there's a lot to be gained from tapping into one just if you're a rational person tapping into that emotional side. If you're an emotional person, understanding the rational side, understanding that it's all speaking the same language. That's why music is so beautiful because it is the same language to a certain extent. And another thing that you said that I that I that I wrote down because I wanted to bring it back up before I you know wax too poetic there um, is about the subconscious and, and and allowing your subconscious to direct or just fueling it with the right with the right type of energy and with the right type of fuel. And I think that those open-ended questions that you brought up earlier about asking yourself those open-ended questions, that's a good way to program your subconscious and get it in the right thought process of where you want where you want it to be so you can give yourself those positive reinforcing thoughts. And I guess before we go, is there anything else that for teachers that are listening, there's so much that they can take away from this conversation. So what would be what would be the lasting thing that, that they okay. live with?
1: The last thing would be just remember that um, it's not about the content, and I'm not saying we don't teach, con- we, you know, it's there. Uh, but remember that it's about what I call the art of the connection. So it's about how we connect with our learners at any age. That is the most important thing. If our learners believe we're there for them, all of them, then they will, they will come to school. And they will come to school with a bigger smile on their face. Um, so yes, we're their teachers. Yes, we're their guides. And yes, we can also be their family. We can be their family, and and quite often we are. Uh, today I had a lot of kids hugging me, and they're different kinds of hugs. And I, you know, I, I sense that some are hugging me for different reasons than others, and it's all good. It's just different. But just remember that that it's how you connect. It's the quality of your words. The quality also of our um, our our, uh, our body language, so just be aware of that.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Enrique. Can you tell everyone where they can find you online, how they can buy your books, and any other plugs that you'd like to throw sure. out there?
1: Sure. The books and the brain games um, are on samtheant.com. SamtheAnt.com. If you're going to be doing any kind of volume purchases, and I mentioned that specifically because of who you guys are, uh, you know, with with your your group. Um, make sure you contact me directly because we, we do a different pricing for volume breaks. Great. Um, but if you're buying individual books, at samtheant.com. And the individual uh, um, brain game licenses are also there. And, again, if you're doing anything volume, call me. And then um, and if you're interested in having me speak, uh, not just for schools. I speak in the corporate world as well. So, you know, you may have someone you know that is looking for a motivational or inspirational speaker. And where you'd go for that is my name, Enrique cfeldman.com so it's E-N-R-I Q-U-E C and then Feldman F-E-L-D-M-A-N so enriquecfeldman.com is where you go to check out um, my public speaking and a new video I was mentioning to you earlier is coming out soon where it's about a seven eight minute video from Orlando that big crowd I talked about where they break down uh, I break down in eight minutes uh, the brain game experience um, like you, you would actually kind of like feel like you were there, doing it with me, and all these people. So be on the lookout. That's free. There's no cost for the all the videos and to check it out. And so, and I also blog a lot on both those sites. So if you go to Enrique C Feldman or Sam the Ant, you click on blog and you can sign up in the newsletter. Um, and you, I, I, I send out a blog every week. One about a strategy and another about personal development. So two different things going on there. So.
0: Perfect, and uh, I will leave links in the show notes to all that stuff, and I will share that video yep. when it comes out, as well as all your other stuff, far and yep. wide. So again, thank Enrique, thank you so much. This has been one of my, if not my favorite podcasts that I've done thus far. And even if we break it into two or three parts, they will probably rank as one, two, and three. So oh really okay. appreciate it. I mean, I'm being totally authentic and honest here. This has been, I've had a smile on my face the whole time. I wish I, we had done the video chat um, on my end, because for, for the audience, Enrique's put his video up uh, and I've been watching him this whole time and I've just been on audio. So I wish that he could see how much joy and, and laughter that this has and just total fulfillment and just feeling awesome. Uh, the rest of my day is going to pale in comparison. Um, (laughs) but it it was absolutely phenomenal and I'm forever grateful that, that you had made the time to, to come on the podcast and I can't wait to, to do it again soon. Anytime. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Peace. Take care. Huge thanks to Enrique for coming on, and a big, big thank you to you for listening to this episode of the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast. Please make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, check us out on Teachers Pay Teachers. It's just Punk Rock Preschool. Go ahead and find us there. We've got some awesome lesson plans that I've been putting up recently, and there's more going up every day. So please check that out. To find Enrique, I will leave all of his information in the show notes. As always, And please reach out to him, tell him what you thought, join his email list and buy his books and just get in touch with Enrique. He has been a great, great person for me to connect with. And we've stayed in touch since doing this podcast episode and we've shared ideas with each other and he's just a really special person. So please follow Enrique, support him. He is doing incredible, amazing things. And when those brain games go live, I will make sure to do a blog post, or maybe even do another podcast with him because this was such a great experience for me and hopefully for all of you. So thank you so much for listening. Like I said, subscribe, join the email list, do all the things that I always ask you to do, please. Thank you so much. And until next time, keep rocking.